Hello, friends, and welcome back to Speaking with Joy. You are listening to my special Advent series where I am reprising some old episodes that I've recorded in the previous years surrounding the themes of Advent. Last week's episode explored the history of Advent, how it's been celebrated in the church, how it prepares us to receive Christ into our hearts and to prepare for his second coming. And this week's episode focuses on Mary, the mother of Jesus. I remember this being one of my favorite episodes to research and prepare for because Mary to me is such a picture of what it is to be a Christian. She is the first one who opens her heart and her life to God, who literally bears Christ within her and gives him to the rest of the world, which is this beautiful picture of what it is for all of us to be a Christian. Mary to me is the perfect example of Christian womanhood, but more generally Christianity as a whole, that we, in our power to say yes to God, can become Christ bearers and who give his love to the rest of the world. So I hope you'll enjoy this week's episode meditating on Mary and her example. Of course, if you want to find the show notes and links to the artworks that I talk about, I'll be posting those on joyclarkson.com, so you can always check out that if you want to know a bit more. And one other quick note, I often get people asking me about Advent resources um, for devotions or kind of things you could use in this season to think and feel through the preparation for Christmas. And I have two main suggestions for that. One is a wonderful little book by Malcolm Guite called Waiting on the Word. It is a poem a day for Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. And Malcolm Guite, who is, I think I might have talked a bit about this in the last uh, podcast, but he is a, a priest, a poet, and a professor. And he put together this beautiful book that has a poem for every day of Advent, along with some kind of devotional reflections. So I've really been enjoying that. This is my second year reading that, so I would definitely check that out if I were you. And the second thing I would recommend is the Biola Advent um, Calendar. So if you look up Biola Center for Christianity and Culture Advent Calendar, they have this online uh, kind of forum where every day a new square on the calendar opens. And it has a, um, each one of these days has a visual, a musical, and a literary, actually a poetic um, kind of Advent piece, and then a reflection with scripture reading and prayer. And if you're wondering, did that inspire Joy's podcast partially? You are entirely correct. So go check that out. They're they're really beautiful, and um, you can sign up for it. They'll send you an Advent devotional every day, and they're really lovely, and I have enjoyed those. So I would commend Biola Advent Project unto you. So without further ado, let me introduce you to this week's Advent episode on the mother. Hello, and welcome to Speaking with Joy, a podcast about books, beauty, and music. So make yourself a cup of tea, sit down. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Genesis 3.14 Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 7.14 Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Luke 1, 26-28 Hello everyone and welcome back to an Advent episode of Speaking with Joy. I am so excited to be back with you all. Last week we talked about the coming and we explored the history of Advent and what it means for us, what it is that we are anticipating as we talk about Christ coming into the world, becoming man, becoming flesh. And this week we're going to explore one of the most important characters in that story, in that coming, which is Mary, the mother, the Theotokos, or the God-bearer, and how her life and her radical yes to God is such a beautiful picture and such a beautiful role model to us of what it is to be a Christian, and how it is that we are meant to approach this story. Um, with open hearts, willing to say yes, and then also to bear God in us. So I'm so excited to begin this week with you all. And I want to let you know that if you are coming just now, you might want to go back and listen to the episode before this, where I lay out kind of the history of Advent and what it is I'm doing with this podcast series. Um, And if you do enjoy this podcast, please do not forget to go like and subscribe and rate it and review it on iTunes. It helps other people access the podcast and is also really helpful to me to know how you're enjoying it. Um, Another quick note is that if ever you hear music on here, and I don't say otherwise, it is from my brother Joel's album that he just released, Midwinter Carols Volume 2. My brother is a composer and he has a wonderful collection of all these lovely carols um, that he's done for you all and I, uh, with his permission, use them in these podcasts. Um, to, uh, to kind of give them background and beauty and scope. So with all that aside, I am excited to just dive on in and tell you what we'll be looking at today uh, for our three pieces of art as we explore the mother, as we explore Mary's story. The first thing we'll be looking at uh, for the literary example is we're actually just going to look directly to scripture itself and to read the Magnificat, which is um, known as Mary's hymn. And it's the hymn that she sings or that she says uh, after meeting Elizabeth. Then for our image or our um, visual piece of art, we will be looking at this lovely little image uh, called Mary Consoles Eve, which is this lovely kind of almost cartoon image um, that contains so much depth and so much scriptural reference and that I will really enjoy talking with you about. And then finally, for our musical piece, we will be listening to Thomas Tallis's Magnificat. Um, He was a composer in the 16th century who has an absolutely beautiful setting of this Magnificat, of this song by Mary. So I'm just so excited to share with you all this um, this week's episode to explore the life of Mary. Something that I feel is that I remember growing up, um, probably not with uh, any badness or darkness in their heart, I heard many pastors kind of almost diminish the role of Mary. They would talk about how young she was and um, how she couldn't have possibly understood what was happening and... Um, you know, kind of all these things that made her seem like she was a helpless small girl who was just chosen by God for no particular reason and who played her part very passively. But the more that I have studied and thought about it and the more I've read church fathers and thought about it, I've seen that Mary plays this pivotal role, that she is the first one to receive Christ and that this is a huge and wonderful thing. And really that she's actually... um, the greatest model to us of how to respond to God. And so I'm really excited to share this with you all. On a more humorous note, I just got back to Oxford uh, from watching my brother's graduation in St. Andrews, which was lovely. And on the train ride back, I don't know if you've ever um, had this experience, but I I dream very vividly most of the time anyway. Um, but I was kind of in that very tired in-between state where you're likely to kind of fall in and out of sleep And today I had this very vivid dream uh, that I watched 
Mary, pray the Magnificat from, and it was like I was watching the Fra Angelica's um, uh, painting of the Magnificat, which you'll have to go look, or at the Annunciation, which you can go look up. So it's like I was watching that, and she prayed the Magnificat mightily, and she ascended into the air, um, as she said, and he filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent empty and handed away, and then she disappeared into the clouds. And then Father Christmas came down and gave all the poor children of the city gifts. So I'm not quite sure where that um, dream came from, but it was absolutely beautiful and lovely, nearly spiritual. But I think, if nothing else, it is a sign that I have been dwelling on the beauty of uh, Mary's words and of her response and of her role in the Christmas story. So I'm so excited to share that with you all this week. And you probably all think I'm very strange now. Um, but that is what it is like in my head. Uh, I also wanted to say to you all that I um, thank many, many thanks to all of my Patreon supporters. You all keep me going. As many of you know, I have a Patreon, which is $10 a month, and that just helps keep the podcast going, and it also helps keep, keeps me going while I'm doing my PhD over here. And um, so I'm very, very thankful to you all. And if you've ever wanted to kind of experiment with the Patreon, this would be the month to do it. Um, I am doing lots of Christmassy things. And the thing I'm excited about doing is I'm going to try to do a simulation of a carols, lessons and carols service, which is a very popular thing here in the UK where it goes through the whole scriptural kind of basis of the Christmas story and then incorporates um, hymns. So I'm going to try to do one of those as one of the secret podcasts. That's just kind of a glimpse into many, one of the many things you could get um, through supporting that. And it helps me. And it's just mostly as a thank you um, to everyone for supporting and listening to the podcast. So without further ado, let us dive into this week's episode about the mother, the bearer of God, and what her life and her attitude and her words have to teach us about what it is to be a disciple of Christ. Behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. These are the wondrous and amazing words that Mary says to the angel uh, when he comes to her and says, you will bear the Christ child. What an amazing scene this is. This is kind of, I love reading Luke. I think Luke is probably my favorite introduction to the Christmas story because it uh, tells these very intimate stories of um of all the people involved in the coming of Christ. And something that I think is really important in Advent is to think about trying to get inside of the wonder of what it means for Christ to become flesh. And we talked about that in last week's podcast about how Christ becoming man, God taking on flesh in the incarnation is God's answer, God's response to all of the suffering, the darkness and the sin of the world, that he doesn't hold himself at a distance from us, that he comes, that he enters and he makes himself vulnerable. Um, and this is a wonderful, strange idea. And it's the wonderful, strange bedrock of all Christianity. Um, but something that kind of helps us enter into the strangeness, you know, we can just say that God became man. Um, and that is the doctrine, but that kind of doesn't get to the heart of what is happening. And to get into the strangeness of us, we have to realize that Christ didn't only just become man. He didn't just emerge from a mountaintop, um, fully formed as an adult, but that he came um, as any other baby would in some ways to be born in in a woman's body, that he, he was in a womb, that he went from went through all the fetal stages that babies do, that he nursed, that he laid in a woman's arms and she sang lullabies to him. And I think that kind of bit of wonder and the strangeness of it is why there's so many carols and um, and paintings of the nativity. It's because uh, if we want to get close to the wondrousness of, um, of what it means for God to become man, we have to get close to the people who witnessed it. And the person who witnessed it the most closely, the most intimately, was Mary. Um, you see this a lot. I think I've talked on on some of the secret podcasts, but I hope I've talked here elsewhere. Um, there was a theologian called Bonaventure, and he um, he was very famous for wanting people to 
make Christ's story their own by engaging with the Gospels to make it inside of who they were. And one of the things that he emphasized in devotion was kind of to imagine yourself in these scenes as you read through the Gospels. Don't just read it like a story that you're outside of. Try to get inside of it. Try to immerse yourself in it and make its story your story and its history your history. And one of the other things he emphasized was he said, if we want to get close to Christ, then we should imagine ourselves as closely as we can with the person who was closest to Christ in many ways in his young years, who's Mary. And so he would have people imagine what it was like to be with Mary and kind of ask them, ask her imaginatively to show them the wonder and the beauty and the loveliness of of Christ's incarnation, of the strange idea that God would make himself vulnerable in this form of a baby. And um, that's why I'm always sticking up for the song, Mary, Did You Know?, especially the version by Pentatonix, uh, because, because people have said that it's kind of shallow or whatever. And they say, well, yes, of course, Mary knew. And um, we'll find out today as we look in the scripture that Mary obviously uh, was prepared, that she knew the scriptures, and that in some sense, she did know what it was to say yes to the Christ child in her room. Um, but to me, the, the song is not really about if Mary knew or not. What it's about is inviting us into the wonder and the beauty of Christ coming to earth and becoming a baby. And so as we draw close to Mary today, as we think about her, as we think about her words, about her response to God, um, the thing that we learn about her is that she's always pointing us towards Christ and that she helps clarify our vision of the wonder and the beauty um, of Christ coming into the world. And that if we want to be good disciples, we should come alongside her, that we should follow her example. So that's kind of my my going before this, saying this is why we're looking at Mary, partially because she's such an important part of the story, but also because she shows us intimately, closely, uh, what it is that is happening in Christ's incarnation and how it is that we're meant to respond to her. So today um, we're going to actually look for our literary example at the Magnificat, which is in Luke. But before we get to that, um, I want to kind of um, give you kind of the background of what's happening up to this point and explain what the Magnificat is. So this all takes place in Luke 1. Luke 1 is a very long chapter. And what we see happen is first we have this story of um, of Zechariah, who is a priest, and a an angel comes to him and says that his wife, who's old and barren, will have a baby. And um, there's all kinds of miraculous babies happening in the story, and that's very in keeping with the Old Testament, as we will see. Uh, but he tells the angel tells him they're going to have a baby, and he says, "How can this be? I'm an old man, and my wife is also old." And so he's struck dumb. Um, and he comes out, but he's praising the Lord and, and he knows that his wife will have a baby. So that happens. And then the, the passage I read at the beginning happens in which, um, Mary has the angel come to her. And this scene is really significant and we'll get into the significance of it even more when we talk about our visual example, because Mary and her response to the angel in many ways is redeeming the response of Eve, where Eve reached beyond what was given to her. Mary accepts, where Eve used her capacity of free will in the image of God to, to break um, relationship with God. Mary moves towards God and God dwells in her. So we'll talk about that more. So that happens. And then the context for the Magnificat is that Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And I want to read you this little kind of foregoing passage, um, the, the passage right before the Magnificat. So after the pastor read to begin with, it says, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hall country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby inside my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you have believed the Lord would do what he said. So this is the beginning in the context for the Magnificat that we're going to read. Um, is that Mary has been told that she will bear the child. She has said, be it done to me according to your will. She's given this amazing fiat to God. She's said yes. Um, and then she goes to visit Elizabeth, who she's heard is miraculously present, pregnant. And Elizabeth 
recognizes that inside Mary is her Lord. She says, who am I? Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? And um, if you've heard of the Ave or the Ave Maria, which is um, also known as the Hail Mary, it comes from this passage. So when Elizabeth says, um, in many translations, it says, it literally says, Hail Mary, blessed are you above all women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. When it says, God has blessed you above all women and your child's blessed. That's where this comes from. It's the, it's copying out. So if you hear an Ave Maria, it's coming from this passage. Um, so this happens Elizabeth recognizes that Mary is pregnant with the Christ child. And then Mary pours forth this beautiful song of praise that is the Magnificat. So I'm going to read this to you. So listen to it with your whole heart. This is Mary's outpouring of praise after all that has happened. My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty-handed away. He has given help to his Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Oh my gosh, what, what an amazing, beautiful outpouring of praise. When I think about this passage, what strikes me about it is Mary's, Mary's confidence. And this is so contrary to many images that I've seen of her um, as people have portrayed in uh, both in painting and also in sermonizing. We often receive this image of Mary as kind of this fearful, um, confused, uh, young teenage girl. And she might have been teenage. And yes, she was confused because it's a very strange thing to be told that you're going to bear the Son of God. But what we see in this, in this outpouring, in this hymn, is not the response of a small person who does not know the power of God's power in her. This is a confident response, a proclaiming of God's righteousness and of his faithfulness to his people. Um, and something else that's really significant about it is that it's deeply tied into scriptural references. This is um, in many ways reflective of some of the responses in the Old Testament. It, it connects her to several other women in the Old Testament. Um, who have these similar kind of outpourings of praise. You first have Miriam, uh, who leads Israel in song after the Exodus, and that's in Exodus 15, 21. So you have this example of someone praising God, a woman praising God in that sense. Um, Hannah, after God answers her prayer in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10. Let me read you a little bit of that because um, this one is very, very close, actually, uh, to the Magnificat. So this is after Hannah was the mother of Samuel, who became the first, uh, the priest who would um, uh, anoint David, uh, who, of course, Christ is in the lineage of. And when, when Christ answered her, not Christ, when God, although I guess you could say that it was Christ, answers her prayer, she prays this in, in 1 Samuel 2. My heart exalts in the, the Lord. My horn is exalted by the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is none beside you. And she goes on and on and on and on. And she says things like the bows, the bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. So you see this kind of parallel with Mary's verses where she says, um, he has done mighty things. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones and he's uh, filled the hungry. So there's a sense of bringing down those who think they are mighty and powerful and elevating um, the needy and the poor and the weak. Uh, and that God will do justice by them. So this is very connected to this um, song of Hannah in the Old Testament. And then it's also related to Deborah, who is the judge who led people into battle. She also has this kind of victory hymn. Um, so Mary's song is this deep, deeply scriptural thing. There's many other also um, kind of references that it's it's getting to, um, that it's reckoning with. It's It's imitating the Psalms. It's referencing many of the 
prophecies of the Old Testament. And uh, in that, she is pouring forth this kind of expression that God is fulfilling his promises to Israel through her. And to me, one of the things that this shows is that she she was prepared somewhere in her heart her whole life. She had listened to the scriptures. She knew the prophecies. She had in her heart this readiness, this excitement, this expectation for God's plan to come. The idea of the anointed one, the Messiah, was all through uh, the Old Testament. And as we end with kind of the last writings, you have this anticipation of God sending his chosen one. And so when you read Mary's psalm or her song, you have to know that this is her kind of, you see that she had read scripture, she'd listened to it. Probably she'd had it read to her, it was more likely. And that it was deep in her heart so that when this moment came, um, she poured forth this prophetic, beautiful song because she'd already dwelt in it. She'd already thought about this. And this becomes evident later on too um, when uh, she, they, Jesus is born and they go to dedicate him. And she is told that her, she has this whole thing happened. Jesus is found teaching all the old men. Um, and then she's told that her own heart will be pierced. And it says that she pondered all of these things in her heart. So we get this picture of Mary not as some kind of um, unprepared, unspecial, young, clueless girl, but rather as someone who had spent her whole life delved in the scriptures. Some people have, have said that it's possible that Mary may have been dedicated to the temple just like um, Samuel was. But even if that weren't the case, we know that Zachariah was in her family, a priest. So we know that she was in a priestly family. She would have heard and soaked up the scriptures her whole life. And when she pours forth this, this psalm, this song, it is full of scripture. And so we get this picture of a woman who has listened to scripture, who's made it a part of her heart that she has anticipated, that its anticipations have become her anticipations. And, um, and going back to, I told you, I, I had this kind of weird dream earlier today about Mary praying this song. And in my mind, it was this very kind of mighty thing. Um, it was this kind of prophetic, uh, wild thing. But then I realized as I was thinking back on it, I went to a lecture last year, um, about this, about Mary's story. And it was, the person who was doing it was actually an expert in Old Testament. And she said that many times we kind of associate Mary with some of the um, barren narratives in the Old Testament. So we think of people um, like Hannah, like, I'm trying to, I'm drawing up, like there's many, many narratives of women who are barren, praying to God, and then they're, um, they have a baby. But she said, basically, this is not exactly the picture that we get of Mary. Um, Mary doesn't fill, there's kind of these different categories that, that those stories all technically fill. But Mary isn't asking God for a child. She is told that she will bear a child. And she went on to argue that what we see with Mary is not so much one of these barrenness narratives. Rather, it is a narrative of, of a theophany. It more closely recognizes itself um, in the context of the prophets, of Moses seeing God in the flaming bush. She says that what we see in Mary's song is not just kind of the person who needed a baby and um, was granted a prayer, although that is a powerful and beautiful thing as well. But that what we see with Mary is rather someone who has seen and experienced God, someone who prophesies, someone who sees the truth of God and pours forth praise and beauty. And that's so reflected too in um, the way that this, this passage thinks about the vision of the coming kingdom of God. It's really struck me this year. I've thought a lot about the phrase where it, she says, um, his mighty arm has done great things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich empty-handed away. And um, I think when I look around our world, oftentimes watching the news just really stresses me out. But what we see with Mary is she's proclaiming like a prophet the coming of this new kingdom that she's bearing inside of her belly. And that as she does that, she sees this upside down kingdom. She sees that eventually God's coming will mean that the haughty ones, the rulers who have 
um, taken advantage, who have stolen, who have not been kind, who have not been just. They will be turned away, and God will look to the poor, to the humble, to the meek, to the needy, and he will respond to them, not to the mighty ones. And that's just been a really viscerally real thing to me this year, as I have seen righteous and unrighteous rulers, although I think that there's many more unrighteous rulers than there are righteous rulers these days. And I've thought about the ways in which we might consider the the hungry or the humble being sent away, and thinking that God and his new kingdom, that what Mary proclaims of God's kingdom, is that God will take the, the mighty, the haughty, and the proud from their thrones, and that he will fill the hungry with good things. And what a prophecy that is. And so I'm just kind of in awe of this hymn that pours forth from Mary once she's had this encounter, this prophetic theophany. And I think this reminds us also, as we're looking at Mary more like the one, more like one who's experienced theophany, more like one who's experienced prophecy, it connects us more deeply, not only to what she says, but what her role is and how she embodies to us the beginning of the kingdom of God um, and what it is to be a Christian. And to do, to talk more about that, we're going to look at um, this image by a, a nun. It's a, it's, a, it's a very simple image. It's kind of like a little cartoon by a nun called Sister Grace. And the reason I choose this image is um, there, there are many beautiful images of Mary over the years. Many people have painted. Um, she's one of the, probably the most painted women. She probably is the most painted woman in all of history. Um, but the reason I choose this is because it's so simple, but it's so full of, um, the richness of Mary's story. It's full of symbolism, but also is kind of this very easy way to teach us uh, about what Mary's, why Mary's choice, why her response to God matters. So in this image we have, um, it's called Mary Consoles Eve. And, um, it's, we see these two women, Mary and Eve, Eve has this beautiful kind of dress of hair around her, and she has the snake wrapped around her leg, and Mary is comforting her and stepping on the snake's head. And um, Eve is clutching this, this apple close to her heart, the picture of her sin, but her hand is on Eve's, uh, on Mary's belly, and, and um, the whole focus of the picture is on on Mary's pregnant belly, uh, where the Christ child is. And um, this is such a kind of a powerful picture. And actually the consolation of Eve, which is the idea that Eve felt she knew her fallenness. Um, the idea that somehow that God would reach out and save Eve and Adam, and that Mary could console her because even though she fell, even though she brought sin into the world, that... Um, of her same line, salvation would come. And um, many people have have made this kind of idea that that Mary is, in many ways, the second Eve. And I think this helps us kind of think about the magnitude of Mary's choice and how it can teach us. So in Genesis, we, we read part of that passage. Um, but in Genesis, the fuller passage shows that Eve is put into this place of grace and of beauty and that there's only one thing that she's not meant to touch, um, but that she reaches out beyond uh, what has been given to her in kind of unsatisfaction or in curiosity. Who's to say it's a mysterious story? And she takes um, what was not hers, what she was not meant to take. And this is a picture of the fact that God, God made us with free will. He chose, he made us to be able to choose things, to make real choices, real decisions because how else could we love him? But Eve used this very fundamental part of herself, um, this choice that God gives us, this way in which we reflect God, the way in which we share in God's image. And she chose something that brought distance between her and God. And there's this image in, in Genesis that the picture of God wanting to be with Adam and Eve, wanting to dwell with them. He went looking for them in the garden. And this heartbreaking scene is when he goes and they've hidden themselves. And so all through the Old Testament, you have this kind of longing, this movement towards um, towards a return to God dwelling with them. But that sin is the thing that comes between them and that sin comes from this use of free will um, to distance ourselves from God. So me, Eve used her free will, made in the image of God, 
in such a way that God could not dwell with them, that they moved away from God. Um, and so then when we look at Mary, she uses her free will. God did not make her, um, God did not make her bear the Christ child. This is a really important part of it. She, um, through grace, um, but of her will chose, she used her power, her fiat, chose to bear, to say yes to God. She used her freedom so that she could say yes to God. And in that, she kind of began the reversal of human choice. She began to image what it is to be a Christian, which is that when we say, we choose, we use the will that God gave us to say yes to God, God comes and dwells inside of us. And of course, in Mary, we have this very visceral dwelling that she, that he became, um, became flesh in her belly. But that's a picture to us of what it is to say yes, to be, um, to use our will to turn towards Christ and that God comes and dwells with us. That's always been his will and his desire. And so that's this radical picture. And this is why people have often called Mary the, the new Eve, that she kind of images Eve's choice, but she turns towards God, that she says yes, and that Christ dwells in her. And this relates also to the fact that Mary's often been called the first disciple or the first Christian because she bears God inside of her. You know, um, kind of the old saying when you'd think about kind of a conversion experience, people would say, um, do you have personal relationship with Jesus? Does Jesus dwell in your heart? And this is very viscerally realized in Mary who says yes to God. She uses her yes. And through that yes, God dwells with her and salvation um, begins in her belly to come to the world. And so when you see this image, it's this picture of of the consolation of Eve that um, in, in that Genesis excerpt, uh, the, the serpent is cursed. Note that the humans are not cursed. Um, that's something that we often talk about. Uh, we kind of get mixed up. The humans are not cursed in Genesis 3. The earth is and the serpent is. And we're told there will be difficulties. We're not cursed because God does not curse us. Um, but she, she's told, the serpent is told that eventually in Eve's line will come someone who will bruise the serpent's head, even though he'll strike his heel. And um, that's the picture of basically the serpent will do his darndest, but getting bruised in the head is deadly, it's fatal. And so in Mary, we have that promise fulfilled that someone in Eve's line, Eve, the mother of all the living, we have finally Mary who uses her choice to say yes to God. And in that God can dwell with her um, and salvation will come through the child that she bears. And so this is just such a beautiful image of um, the fulfillment of that promise. And, um, and it pictures to us how our hearts are meant to be towards Christ. That saying yes to Christ is not a violation of our freedom. It's the true use of our freedom. God gave us free will and he meant for us to use it. But the true and proper end of that free will is a full and wholehearted yes to him so that he can come and dwell with us and dwell in us just as he did in Mary. And I think that we need to grasp, and this simple little picture kind of does grasp, the magnitude of what began through Mary's yes. She should be the person that we think about as the model disciple, the person whose heart is open and responsive, who has digested and made scripture a part of them, who was ready to respond to God and who uses her free will to say yes to a God so that God dwells within her. And this kind of reflects uh, one of this one of the first names that Mary is given. In the in the church fathers, we often hear her referred to as the Theotokos, which means the God bearer. That through her yes, God literally she literally got to bear God within her. And the idea that people often said um, in these in these church fathers was that that was the true and fitting role of humans, that we were always meant, our fulfillment was meant to be and bearing God within us, that God's heart was always to dwell with us, and that Mary was the first person who said yes to this in this radical way. And through saying yes, salvation, her th- saying yes, salvation came to all the world. So I think in so many ways, Mary is the picture to us of how our hearts are meant to be as we prepare for Advent, as we prepare for the coming of Christ. 
Mary obviously dwelt on scripture. She knew the promises, the hopes, the longings. It became a part of her. She dwelt on things. She pondered things in her heart. And she was open and receptive to God. And when the moment came, she used the gift of free will that God had given her to say yes to God in a way that brought life to all the world. And that is how we are meant to respond as well. As we enter into the season, focusing on the promises and the hopes and the beauties of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we make those hopes and expectations our own. We also hope to have a responsive, a thoughtful heart that we, like Mary, would ponder the mysteries of this season in our heart. And finally, that we would, we would say yes to Christ, that we would say yes to God dwelling within us, and that as he dwells within us, it would bring great fruit into the world. I honestly can't think of a better picture of discipleship, of our relationship to God. And I think it makes sense that people like Bonaventure said, if you want to get close to Christ, imagine and think about the example of Mary, who was close to God, who through her yes, through her anticipation, through her complete availment of herself to God, um, she was able to bear the Christ child, become the Theotokos, and um, that through her yes, great goodness came into the world, great salvation. And so I really want to dwell on that this Advent. And so I'll leave you all with our our musical um, example, which is this wonderful piece by Thomas Tallis. And it's simply a setting of the Magnificat, which of course is the culmination, as I said, of Mary's yes. That as she says yes, she knows that she can say it in faith, that God is faithful to fulfill his promises, that he will come. And that uh, through her yes, she may even know this, what a wonderful feeling it would be to say through her yes, um, that eventually these new things would come. So I'm going to end by reading you the Magnificat and then playing this version by Thomas Tallis. Thomas Tallis, just as a little background, is one of the most famous um, English composers from the 16th century. He uh, composed some of the most beautiful choral work in all of England's history, and England is very known for its choral history, partially because of Talus began with that. And this is a beautiful setting of the Magnificat, which was Mary's hymn to God, um, her response, her outpouring of praise, once she has seen and known and believed in her heart that what has been said to her will come to pass. So I wish you all well. I thank you for entering into the season with me. I look forward to talking with you all next week about um, the shepherd as we'll be looking more deeply into the prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament. And I'll have a guest on the show then, so I look forward to that as well. And um, I encourage you all to think this Advent about modeling yourself after Mary, after being someone who dwells on God's promises and who believes them, who is responsive and ready, and who uses their free will to say yes to God, bearing God within themselves and bringing his light and his graciousness into the world. So I'll end today by reading you the passage once more and then playing you this beautiful version of Talus's Magnificat as sung by Peter Phillips and the Talus Scholars. I hope you enjoy and have a beautiful Advent. My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation, toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich empty-handed away. He has given help to Israel his servant and remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever.